Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today we have inside the studio uh, Martin Harry. He's running for Travis County District Attorney. Going to talk with him. Also, we're going to have on Skype uh, the sister of Javier Ambler. Javier Ambler. Uh, Kimberly Ambler Jones. So we're going to talk with her and find out, you know, we, we need to put a a face, a person to this name. So we're going to talk with her about him. Uh, but, you know, what we're going to talk about is, you know, what happened with Williamson County uh, last year. You had Robert Chody. Uh, he's actually was a former Austin Police Department officer who won a substantial jackpot 19 years ago. He's now the sheriff uh, in Williamson County. And with a winning Texas State lottery ticket, he purchased uh, was purchased by his wife. The Lotto Texas ticket matched all six numbers drawn to win one of the biggest jackpots issued by the Texas Lottery Commission to date. Now, an overnight windfall of $85 million is what he won. And the couple opted to take an immediate lump sum rather than yearly annuities, uh, taking, it, taking home about $51.2 million. Now, let's speed forward a little bit. Let's talk about Sheriff Chody because then, he, you know, he used that those funds to actually – now, some of those funds to, to run for office. He was uh, the uh, Williamson County uh, constable, and then he became the sheriff of Williamson County. So Sheriff Robert Chody, who turned himself in uh, this week, was actually arrested in book on Monday, and he was released shortly after posting a $10,000 bond uh, or bail for something that happened last year. So basically what happens, the Williamson County grand jury indicted and accused of Robert Chody, uh, Sheriff Chody, of intentionally destroying or concealing video and audio recordings of the fatal encounter, uh, which was filmed for the television show Live PD. And that fatal encounter was Javier Ambler. Ambler, yeah. So he was actually traveling home one night, and the 
Williamson County Sheriff, I guess he had his bright lights on, and the Williamson County Sheriff went to initiate a traffic stop, and for some reason, uh, Javier didn't stop. And so he continued to drive. And so ends up, you know, he wrecks. They get him out of the vehicle, and then he ends up being tased and dying right there on the side of the road. And so you kind of want to put a face to this person. Uh, who is this person? What type of person he was? Where did he work? And so I want to talk to a family member about this. And so I want to welcome to the show uh, the sister of Javier, Kimberly. Kimberly, welcome to Come and Talk It. Hello. Hey, how are you Thanks doing today? Me. I'm good. How are y'all? All right. You hanging in there? Yeah. All right. Busy. I bet. So tell me a little bit about your brother. Um, well, obviously, everyone knows he was my brother. Um, he's my older brother. Um, he has a little sister, just us two. Um, we were military brats, but we called Texas home. This was the longest place that my dad was stationed. He served 23 years in the Army, retired here in Texas. Um, my brother was a football star and he was a football fanatic. He enjoyed football. Uh, we grew up here in Colleen, Texas. He went, he played football here in Colleen, Texas, had a scholarship to go to school out in Berlin, um, played football out there. Um, after he was done with college, he moved to Atlanta for a little bit, lived out there and then he moved back to Texas. And when he moved back, he moved to Austin. Um, he used to work for the post office for a while, and then when he moved to Austin, he started working for um, apartment complexes doing the maintenance manager, um, and then he decided he wanted to venture out and do what he loved, which was cooking, so he started doing catering and was in the process of trying to get his own food truck, uh, just something he really enjoyed and something he was really good at. Um, and that's what he was doing at the time that he passed. Okay. He has two biological sons and then one that isn't his biological, but you, he treated him exactly the same. He called him his son. There was no step. He was in his life since he was one, since he was um, one. So just all around good guy, good dad, good, good friend, very friendly. A lot of people knew him. He just attracted people and they just loved the person that he was everyone has the same thing to say about him very caring individual very loving would give you the shirt off his back funny you know we didn't see race growing up growing up in a military background you know everybody was just a person if you were nice we were nice if you weren't we just didn't associate ourselves with you and he took that all the way until his being an adult he had friends of every race and I think it's hard for us to understand the racial situation that's going on in the world today because that's not how we grew up so but yeah oh, okay all right awesome and so can you tell me um i i was under the impression that he actually worked for the post office is not that not correct he used to work for the post office used to yeah. work okay. and that was before he moved to austin when he lived here in clean he did okay so he used to work for the post office all right and so can you bring us to that night do you know what he was actually doing the night that this actually this incident happened where he was on his way home and he had his bright lights on and the Williamson County Sheriff's Department uh, went to initiate a traffic stop? I'm not really sure because we've heard several different stories of what possibly happened. We don't know. And unfortunately, he's not here to tell us, though. So. Right. And so and, and the police haven't told you guys anything. Have they shared anything with you at all? No. I mean, they tried to hide it for 15 months. They don't have nothing to share. Wow. Okay. 
And then um, can you tell us uh, about your 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 parents? You know a little bit more about your mother. I, I've heard about your father. Um, tell me about your your mother. Um, I'm not really what what you want to know, but um, she's just a strong individual. You know, she worked. She just recently retired. Took good care of us. Instilled good values and morals in us. Um, she's just all around good person. You know, her faith is so strong. Her, her, her love is so strong. Like she, he was a mama's boy and that was her baby. So, you know, we're all just sitting here taking it day by day, trying to make it. But, um, she's just a good, like, or my family's just good. We're just a good family. Right. I know people would say that about everybody's family, but anybody that you speak to about our family has nothing bad to say. And we that, always hear positive stuff like, oh, my God, I wish our family was this close. I wish we had the kind of bond you guys have. I wish this. I wish that. So that's just the way it is. Like, we just figure everybody's supposed to be that way. Everyone's supposed to show love. Everybody's supposed to show um, support. You know, we never got off the phone without saying I love you. That's just the way it is in our house. And that's because of her. All right. We're talking with Kimberly. She's the sister of uh, Javier Ambler. And Javier Ambler was the, uh, the gentleman that was actually tased and ended up dying um, by the hands of the Williamson County Sheriff's Department. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Coley on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. That's how it goes here, 100 quick in the LA traffic. I see, yo, the, the state that I think is the worst on vehicles, though, is Arizona for sure. Really? Yo, So what you're listening to is you're listening to the Florida man. This happened in, uh, in Florida where the guy decided that, you know, driving down the interstate, doing almost 100 miles an hour, and he was going to fire shots through his front window. It start, all started out when the Florida man was actually driving on a side street, did a brake check of a person that was behind him, and then 
they get on the interstate or the turnpike, the Florida turnpike, and this person actually passes him, and he goes about 100 miles an hour to catch up to this guy. And this other guy decides to pull out a gun and flash it out of a window. And then the Florida man decides to fire some shots out of his front window doing almost 100 miles an hour. He actually got up to 100 miles an hour to catch up to this guy, then slowed down to about 95 miles an hour. And he fired shots out of his front window. And he actually posted this video on YouTube himself. Check this out. All right, so when we come back, uh, we're, we're going to come back to this later on. I'll get back into it, and I'll show you from the beginning to the end exactly what happened. Uh, and he actually fires shots out of his front window. And I think we've talked about this on the radio show before. You know, when you fire out of a window, uh, that bullet's not going to go where you think it's going to go. It's actually going to change the trajectory just a little bit. So I don't think he even his shots actually hit the vehicle that he was aiming for. Uh, we'll come back to that a little later on. But we're talking with the sister of Javier Ambler. Uh, she's on the on Skype with us, and we're talking about her brother, what type of person he was, and we're talking about, you know, this is the person that actually was tased and actually ended up dying at the hands of the Williamson County Sheriff's Department uh, last year, and this all came to light because this was actually on Live PD. It was actually on Live PD, and the fact that it was on Live PD, uh, someone actually died. It was a homicide investigation, and for some reason, they didn't keep the video, which is actually, I'm floored by this. You know, how in the world do you, you videotape someone dying and you don't think that video is actually important to keep it? You actually destroy the video. I mean, any, just uh, a, a first year cadet out of the academy who <laughs> winds up being a detective would say, you know what? Wow, you know, we're doing an investigation to find out what happened here. You know, I just arrived on the scene. I'm the lead investigator. Well, you know what? Let's take a look at it. I need all the recordings. I need any videos. Oh, wow, this is live PD. Well, how about you give me your video? Let me get a copy of the video so I can see, you know, what actually happened. You know, how do you not do that? That makes no sense whatsoever. And the fact that they don't do that, then I'm, I'm actually, you know, I, I'm suspecting them of doing something wrong because you hit the video. It was on live TV. How do you not do that? How do you not? See this video. How, how do you not share this? All right, so we're talking with the, the sister of Javier Ambler. Uh, so, Kimberly, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Well, it's the same thing you just said. I feel like we've been, we've been asking for any type. We didn't know about YPD until June. When he passed away, March of 2019, we just were told that he died in the hands of police custody. No other detail. Um, we were asking for body cam, any type of footage that they had for 15 months and wasn't given anything. So at that point, we already knew something went wrong because 
if it was nothing that they did wrong, they'd be freely willing to share that video with us, but they wouldn't. It was like the runaround after the runaround. And when we found out live PD was there and supposedly, which I don't honestly believe that they destroyed the video, but whatever, supposedly they destroyed this video of somebody dying. Like that makes no sense. Right. It, it, it really doesn't. Evidence. It really does. If you're an investigator, so, you arrive at the scene and you're, you're trying to figure out what happened. How did this all play out? You want to get every angle that you possibly can get. So the fact that you don't even ask for that video, you don't get a copy of that, makes no sense. What I uh, read was that Live PD and the Williamson County, uh, the, their sheriff's office, they had a contract. And in that contract, it said that if there was no court order uh, demanding those videos, then they could be destroyed within 30 days. Is that is that correct? That's that's probably correct, but that's, that's so insensitive. It's, it's a homicide investigation. Sad, but if you, you think about it, it's stupid. That's like a regular video that you record, like your regular everyday. Yeah, it could be um, a Facebook live stream for all for all, it, whatever, all intents and purposes. For something like this, no, you you need to keep that. Uh, you that whole thirty days goes out the window at that point. How how long after your brother's death did you find? Did you view the body cam footage? We found out just when America found out in June of this year. Mm. Wow. And actually, according to the uh, the producer of the show, or the director, the show has a policy of not retaining video for more than roughly 30 days. The reason for that is that uh, they didn't want to be become a video repository for either side, prosecutor or for defense, and they didn't want to become an arm of law enforcement, and they didn't want to become an arm of defense attorneys, so they had a policy in place about not retaining videos. But I think you would say, you know, wow, someone died. We may want to keep this video. Might be a special video. exception, right? <laughs> yeah, this makes no sense. I don't get it. Uh, so, um, you know, my thoughts and prayers definitely go out to the family. Um, I wish, and, and right now, the only person that can tell us, you know, what was going on that night and, you know, why he didn't stop would be Javier. I'm just curious, you know, why he didn't stop. You know, all this is over. It's just headlights, bright lights. That's all it was about, bright lights. Um, and definitely someone, you know, you shouldn't die from that. So, um, but definitely co thank you for coming on the show, Kimberly. Really appreciate that. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. Y'all have a good weekend. All right. You, you too. You do. Be, be good out there. All right. So, um, and just so you know, uh, the um, Sheriff Chody, who turned himself in this week, earlier this week, was arrested and booked on Monday. And he was released shortly after posting a $10,000 bail. The Williamson County Grand Jury indicted and accuses Chody of intentionally destroying a, of, or concealing video and audio recordings of the fatal encounter, which was filmed for the television show Live PD. Uh, Jason Nassour, a lawyer with the county attorney's office, was also indicted on this same felony evidence tampering charge. Uh, the Javier Ambler, uh, until news broke that the law, that the raw and unaired video recorded by Live PD was destroyed, you know, that's really when this story really broke. And no one actually heard about this until that actually happened. Uh, the fact that you found out that the video you know, was destroyed by a live reality TV show. And then it came to light. All right, so I'm going to change gears a little bit. We actually have inside the studio uh, Martin Harry. Uh, he's actually running for Travis County District Attorney. Because uh, I tell you, you know, you got to get involved in what's going on. It's important that you, you know what's happening it's important you get involved and you, and you know your elected officials. Uh, the most powerful person uh, in the county is going to be your Travis County, your district attorney in this county, Travis County, here in Austin, uh, or your DA, wherever you are, whatever city, county, state that you live in, 
your district attorney is going to be the most powerful person and then also your local sheriff. You know, those two people, those are the two races that you definitely want to focus on. You know, because your sheriff controls the jail and your DA decides who's going to go to jail, who's actually going to be prosecuted. So it's very important that you know those two people. They are the most powerful people in your county. So I want to welcome to the show Martin Harry. He's the running for Travis County District Attorney. Martin, welcome to come and talk it, sir. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me as a guest. Absolutely. So, Martin, tell us a little bit about yourself. And, you know, how did you get to this point where you're running for office? Well, I'm a local attorney. I've been in practice. I've practiced law for over 30 years. I began my uh, professional experience as a judge advocate in the United States Navy. Uh, I was on active duty for five years. I left active duty and went to work for the Social Security Administration for a couple of years. And since then, for about 24 years, I've had my own law practice in Austin. My firm started as a solo practitioner with one office and grew to a law firm with six attorneys and 10 offices. We've served thousands and thousands of clients from all walks of life. Uh, I was looking last year as the deadline approached for offices, uh, you know, candidates filing for office, and I saw that no one had filed to oppose the incumbent district attorney. There were two Democrats that had filed. Uh, I re did some research, and I was not um, particularly pleased with what options I was going to have as a voter. Uh, I contacted the chairman of the Republican Party in Travis County and was told that no one had expressed any interest or desire to file for either district attorney or county attorney. And so as the deadline approached, uh, I decided uh, that I was going to offer myself as a choice. All right, so we're talking with Martin Harry. He's running for Travis County District Attorney. Uh, Martin, you got you, you know you got to know Martin. You got to know who Martin Harry is. Got to figure out you know you got to find out your candidates. Who's running for office? You need to know your district attorney. You need to know your sheriff. Uh, those are the two people you need to know in where you live because they are the most important. Your sheriff controls the jail. Your district attorney controls who goes to jail. Who's going to be prosecuted? So that's very important. I cannot stress that enough. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t 
Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking with Martin Harry. He's running for Travis County District Attorney. Martin, you tell us about your campaign and, and talk about some of the uh, things that people actually want to know, and that is homelessness. Homelessness is a big problem here in Travis County. So, Martin, you know, kind of, you know, what are your thoughts on that? This problem that we have of not ticketing people for sitting and lying and just doing whatever they want to do? Well, those are typically addressed as quality of life crimes. And that's one of the differences in this election is my opponent is promising not to prosecute violations of those laws. Um, it, it, it's in fact, the argument basically is that we should not be prosecuting for based on their status of homelessness. Uh, my view is we need to distinguish between a person's status and their conduct. If someone is committing an, an act that constitutes a crime, they should be prosecuted regardless of their status, and they should not be given any particular pr protection or immunity uh, based on status. Uh, my, I also believe that if you fail to prosecute people for minor offenses, that it's you're somewhat encouraging them to continue to engage in that conduct, and they may very well uh, it may very well escalate into more serious things, and you lose the opportunity to intervene. Uh, we know that there's a very strong correlation between homelessness and mental impairments, uh, either mental illness or substance abuse. And if you can intervene and identify those with those impairments when they're committing those low-level offenses, we might be able to intervene and uh, give them the help that they need to recover from those conditions so that they don't continue to commit crimes, particularly violent crimes. Yeah, because last, uh, last, well, this past weekend, this weekend, Friday night, we actually had uh, quite a bit going on in Austin. You know, it was actually, you had a, a, a hotel clerk get pistol whipped, you know, in an area that normally that doesn't happen. You had, uh, you had someone who uh, was carjacked, and this all happened within like an hour or two hours of each other. A couple of assaults, uh, yeah. a shooting. Just crazy. <clears throat> Now, yeah, we definitely yeah. see an increase in crime in Austin, uh, and not just uh, low-level offenses, but serious offenses. The Wall Street Journal reported a few weeks ago how in the first six months of this year, homicides were increased uh, by 64% over the same period last year. And it's not just homicides. Well, and that was the greatest increase of any major city in the United States. In Austin? Yes. It was the high, highest percentage increase than any other large city, and we, we know how what what's happening in some of our larger cities. Uh, but it's not just homicide, it's serious crimes. In fiscal year 2019, uh, we had a record number of felony cases filed in the state of Texas. And I think we just know anecdotally, just by turning on the television and watching the news and hearing the, the re reports on radio, what's happening in Austin, Texas. Right, and then uh, tell us a little bit about your Safer Streets initiative. What's that all about? Well, I, I believe that we're spending uh, too little attention and effort towards crime prevention. And this is a, uh, an initiative that I, uh, I'm going to undertake to improve our crime prevention to, and to rehabilitate offenders. Uh, I believe in the old adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And people talk about defunding the police, reimagining police. Uh, I think that comes after we do a better job of preventing the crime. I think we need... Uh, law enforcement to help in our prevention efforts. Uh, the Stay for Streets is really going to initially focus on the three populations in our community that I think are most vulnerable to abuse, uh, the elderly, children, and our animals. 
Mm. Uh, these are the groups that are least able to defend themselves and to file reports if they are being abused. Mm. And this is an effort to educate the public, raise awareness as to what constitutes abuse, uh, what is an offense that would be prosecutable, and the signs that people can look for to uh, identify it at the earliest stages. And then also tell us about, you know, the rape kits, because here in Austin, Texas, you know, they're not we have we have a habit of not testing our rape kits here. Uh, and then also, you know, uh, people are upset because they feel that the Travis County D.A. is not actually prosecuting rapists. Mm -hmm. Well, there were this is some time ago now, uh, uh, almost a decade ago when rape kits have been piling up. And uh, I believe at one point. There were thousands of kits that had gone untested, and it was taking a very long time for testing to occur for those that were tested. And, uh, and this isn't a problem that was necessarily unique to Austin, but it was combined, the delay with testing was combined with the conditions of the, uh, you know, they had those, the fail, failure of the system where the, uh, the refrigeration system where the rape kits were held you know, with the mold and the mildew that was gathering on the, the test kits. Uh, as far as I know, uh, no one has really been assigned responsibility for these failures and held accountable. It, this is really uh, the city's responsibility. Uh, the state last year, however, responded. This was a public relations nightmare for everyone involved, and the state stepped in, and the legislature passed uh, some changes that uh, mandated that these rape kits be sent for testing to a, a lab within 30 days. Uh, and I believe that the law provides for every kit to be barcoded so that even the victims can track the progress of these kits through the system and so they can be kept better informed as to the progress of uh, their case. Um, now, improving this, the testing and the, the speed at which they're being processed, I think, may have some beneficial effect on prosecuting these cases. When there were long delays incurred, the victims are more likely to lose interest in the case or feel that they need uh, closure, and that it, there's a lower rate of cooperation, which is um, these cases largely depend on. So uh, I hope that uh, this will result in more reporting and more prosecutions. Uh, the, we understand that uh, by, from the Department of Justice that only about one out of two, at best, of these cases are reported. And then, of course, a smaller percentage eventually uh, are prosecuted and the offenders held accountable. I think it's important to remember, too, that not only does the testing of these rape kits ensure the possibility of more prosecution, but it could also clear a number of people's names who have been maybe falsely accused of rape. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, that number might not be very high, but it still is something to, that's worth keeping in mind that's right i would agree with that and then also you know I want you to tell us a little bit about um you know what are your thinks about the protests that's been going on the protests that have turned to riots you know because here we have in austin we actually had someone actually uh, get shot uh, we had someone uh, that was in a vehicle driving as a rideshare driver dropping off a passenger wind up in the midst of a protests that actually turned into a riot when it, you know, they attacked his vehicle and he had to defend himself, you know, kind of what, what are your thoughts on that, how, how this is playing out around the country in mm -hmm. general? Well, I, I think it's important that we distinguish between the protests that are peaceful and a form of 
uh, a freedom that is protected by the Constitution from criminal activity, which is not, of course, uh, which might be considered rioting and looting. Uh, the incident in downtown Austin, uh, it was uh, there was a tragic event. I play some fault for that with the city of Austin. Uh, the police were you know, giving the protesters a certain amount of space, and uh, there was there was no street closure, as far as I understand, that would have prevented cars from entering into that space. Uh, that did that that failure resulted in this driver uh, posing what the protesters thought or perceived apparently as a threat to them, and then we know what happened after that. Um, had uh, the police in the city. Well, the police actually, when the shots were fired, they ran to the to the scene. They ran to the danger when others scattered. And so, I think we need to respect the reaction of the police, even though they were the really the targets of the protests. Uh, that they did not let that affect them. Their professional response to the shots being fired. Uh, but uh, you know, Governor Abbott has suggested enhancing the crime of rioting and looting. Uh, I. I can support that. The uh, only problem I see is if you have a district attorney who is not going to prosecute people who violate the law, it doesn't matter. It's what, irrelevant. Yes, it you're, it's becomes meaningless. Because so where do you draw the line between peaceful protest and violent criminal activity? Well, if you're damaging other people's property, private property, if you're uh, attacking someone, one of these protests, I actually went downtown just to kind of observe for myself what was happening. And I have to say, I mean, I tried to be as, um, you know, maintain my unanimity as, <laughs> anonymity as much as possible um, and um, not um, do anything to bring attention to myself. But nonetheless, uh, I had individuals who were downtown confront me and ask me what, what I was doing there, why I was there, and that if I wasn't supporting them, I had no business being there. There were, was clearly an effort to intimidate me and, and so that I would leave. Um, you know, if we're going to engage in uh, protests and a free exchange of ideas, uh, we should uh, welcome people from in all sides of the debate. Uh, I don't think anyone should get, engage in provocative behavior, but uh, I, I think it's Difficult to respect someone who wants to have the right for themselves but deny it when they want to deny it for others. Yeah, it's like you know, you're trampling over someone else's right. You have a right to protest, but then, you know, <laughs> they want to silence you. So you silence your voice. Would, would you consider that at that point some sort of intimidation or is that criminal activity? Is that beyond peaceful protest? Uh, you know, preventing other people from freely assembling in similar geographic locations as you are? Mm. Well, I you know, I didn't make an issue of it. Uh, I, I really avoided uh, being argumentative. I simply stated what I said here was I, my purpose was just to observe what was happening. And uh, there was no physical confrontation other than someone kind of backing themselves up to me uh, to block my view. And, to, you know, as I took a step back, they took a step back. Um, because so some of these, some of these uh, protesters are violently beating journalists, independent journalists, journalists that actually agree with what they're doing. Her, Haram, uh, Haram Garcia is a good example of that. Um, but, you know, I, my, I'm saying, you know, would that kind of thing be prosecuted? Would oh, you see that? Yes, I, I mean, I personally, just 
from my observation, not necessarily what was going on in Austin, but in other cities, what I see on the on the news is that there are people that are intent on doing violence, doing harm to others, property damage. And I don't attribute that necessarily to people that are interested in peaceful protesting. But nevertheless, these protests, in some instances, uh, I'm concerned, are being hijacked uh, for their own agenda. Right. And we are not only protecting the community, but we are protecting the protesters, the, those who are dedicated to peacefully protesting, if we prosecute those who intend to do harm. All right, we're talking with Martin Harry. He's running for Travis County District Attorney. He has experience prosecuting and defending criminal defendants. He is the only candidate independent of Austin's political cronyism who will investigate and end corruption in Travis County wherever it is found. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk. Peace, this is Maj Ture. You're listening to Come and Talk Radio with Michael Cargill. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're talking with Martin Harry. He's running for Travis County District Attorney. And uh, I want to ask Martin about no-knock raids. I want to ask him to uh, give his thoughts about that. Before I ask him about those no-knocks, um, someone sent me a message here. I want to ask you about, man, your opponent wants to abolish, you know, you know the right to bail. You know, what, what's all that about, and what are your thoughts on that? Well, he's been campaigning for a year and a half telling voters that uh, one of the first things he's going to do is to abolish bail, cash bail specifically. And uh, in fact, I think this is one way that he's really misleading voters. He's leading voters to think that he has the authority, the legal authority to abolish bail. But bail is a right that is protected by both the United States and state uh, constitutions. Uh, it is a right that protects us from government abuse. It is a means by which we regain our freedom if we are accused of a crime um, be before there's an adjudication of our guilt. It's a way we can get released. Uh, he, his, his argument is that uh, some poor defendants uh, are unable to make bail and uh, are unfairly detained while wealthier defendants gain their release. Um, but I think he's misleading people about the nature of bail. You know, bail is one of the factors that must be considered is a person's ability to make bail, and that is is irrelevant to the person's economic status. 
So the wealthier the defendant, the higher the bail typically is, the poorer, the, the lesser. And you could have a person of greater economic means and a person of lesser economic means both unable to make bail, but it, it's not because one is um, one or both are, are poor. It's because um, they, they have financial inability regardless of whether they're poor or not. There are certain jurisdictions where the right to bail has been abused. Uh, we know in Harris County, uh, Harris County was sued. Judges were assessing bail based on a schedule for crimes. The bail was set depending on the crime. Uh, again, that's an example where a person's ability to make bail was not being considered. So there are remedies if, if a person is being denied, denied the protection. The problem I have with his approach is that he wants to take a right and abolish it where there's abuse, where I, where I want to vindicate that right where it's being abused. All right, so um, Skip Davis, uh, he's an attorney here in Austin. He says uh, he, he's reminding me of the fact that uh, we interviewed Peter and Lisa Harold, uh, whose home was invaded in a no-knock search warrant, uh, just like Brianna Taylor. And he talks about how the law enforcement you know, did not announce, and Harold's son, they didn't announce because what happened was the vehicle that they used, uh, the person that was inside the vehicle didn't know how to work the vehicle. And they didn't hit the right button to turn on the microphone. So the microphone was never on when they were announcing them, you know, trying to announce themselves. And so the son thought that their home was being invaded, and he picked up his AK-47 and fired shots at them. And that happened here in Austin, Texas. You know, so I kind of want to ask your thoughts on no-knock warrants. You know, what are your thoughts on those? Mm -hmm. Well, just from that story, you can see how it poses a risk of danger not only to the occupants of the home, but also to the police as well. Uh, so I think that the circumstances that would justify a no-knock warrant um, would be probably very limited. Uh, I don't necessarily want to take a, um, a position where it should be prohibited in all circumstances, uh, but this is something that would be for a judge to decide uh, where the police think it would be in the best interest of the, them and the community to uh, proceed. Um, in the case of um, uh, that was in uh, that was just uh, Brianna Taylor. Yeah, Brianna Taylor, where the um, I believe it was the police or the law enforcement obtained a no knock warrant, but actually did proceed to announce themselves. Right. Um, I think that the circumstances must have been such that they were able to persuade the judge that a no-knock warrant was appropriate. Now, I think the policymakers can look at those circumstances and decide whether it was appropriate or not and whether it should be more limited than what it is. Uh, but that, that, that would be in somebody else's jurisdiction, not mine as a district attorney. That would be like a situation where the suspect might flush drugs or something like that. Mm -hmm. Destruction of evidence, um, you know, certainly – but I think that because of the risks associated with these no-knock raids, that there are reasons for police to be inhibited in proceeding in that fashion. And Tom, with. Thomas says tighter controls and oversight on the no-knock warrants. All right. All right. So I call in numbers 512-643-5483. That's 512-643-5483. Come and talk it. Let's go to the phone lines. Um, Robert, you're on with Come and Talk it. Hey, guys, long time no hear from, huh? What's going on there? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. You remember who I am now, right? <laughs> no, I don't. But go ahead. You don't? 
Oh, oh Robert, yeah, yeah, the homeless camp, yeah. I saw you yeah. on your bicycle the other day on uh, Cesar Chavez. Uh, not me. I don't have a bike. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> looked just like you. Uh, fake news. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I called to um, let's talk about the homeless one, uh, thing. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, I have a problem with that, a little bit with this, because... Like the no shit situation. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a law. I guess they made a ruling on that where we could sit for like thirty minutes. Because, like, I mean, for me, I'm handicapped, and um, now you're going to you don't want you don't even want that to happen. What what's up with that? All right. So you're saying you're saying you should be at least be able to sit for thirty minutes. Um, you know. At, at, at very minimum is what you're saying, right? I mean, I mean, like sometimes I can't walk that far, and I, I mean, there's other people like that too, you know. And um, so, how do, you, how do you? So, Robert, tell me this: How do you think they should frame that? Because what we're having is like, let's take the intersection of like Ben White and Congress, uh, where you have people, you know, are all set up right there at that intersection, and we've had a lot of crime in that area in the intersection there. A lot of break-ins, a lot of graffiti, all kinds of stuff happening in that area. So, you know, what what do you think should be done? Should we just, you know, should we say, hey, you can't do it in this area, you can't do it so many feet from the street, uh, or you, you know, put, you know, have your own designated area? You know, what should we do? Well, I mean, I understand that part there. You know, I mean, I'm I'm against all that, you know, like graffiti and stuff like that. But what I'm talking about. Is the um, thing for okay? I'm walking around, and I can't, you know, like I said, I can't walk that far. I sometimes have to sit down somewhere, like when I'm downtown. Okay. I got to sit down somewhere to rest, and then I have an officer come up to me and tell me, "He, you cannot sit here. You gotta go." And I mean that. That's citywide. I mean, that's supposed to be citywide. If I if I can't, I mean, no matter where I'm at, if I have to sit, I'm going to sit for at least thirty minutes just to get my, you know, get back to where I can walk Cause you, again. Because what you're saying is you're not loitering. You're just taking a break. You're you're resting because right. you've been walking for a long time. You're not there to take a you know go to sleep and sleep all night and right. camp out. So not, see, so maybe it, so maybe not a no sit and lie. Maybe no camping. Right, no camping. I mean, I agree with that part. Okay, so That's no camping. That's why we got these campsites, and we got like uh, the city uh, owns these. Uh, I got these motels now. Uh huh. But I just found out some information on that too. I don't know if you want to go into that. And, and part. so someone and someone asked, you know, Robert is Robert homeless or is he just disabled and needs a rest and, and you know to move around? Are you? you I could say both. I'm homeless and I'm. I'm disabled. You're homeless and disabled. All right. Yeah. So, so not like a so. So we're saying just let's not do a, um, you know, let's not put a timeline on it. Just say, hey, you can't camp out. So you can't pitch your tent, put all your stuff there, and 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 put your bed there in the middle of the intersection or road, aside the road or something like that. Is what right. we're saying. I agree with that. Okay. All right. And then you said what was the other thing you wanted to address? Oh, um, the how um. Uh... These campsites. I mean, this. Um, this the hotel. hotels. The hotels. All right. So, what yeah. was your question about the hotels? 
Oh, no. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. Okay. The city's supposed to be running these motels, right? Okay. Well, I just found out today that the art or um, what's the name of that? Um, the people who run the arch? Yes. Are you going to be running these uh, hotels? Mm. Motels, yeah. That's scary. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like going, wait a minute. Because they can't, they can't even keep the the arch safe. They can't even keep that clean and and keep you know people are afraid to go down to the arch. They're afraid they're going to get mugged and raped. Exactly. So how are they going to run this if they can't run their own business? Mm, good point. And um, oh, I'm totally against this. And you know that's why I was thinking when I seen you guys on. I'm like, my buddies will love to hear about this. All right. That's- <laughs> That, that's that's a good point, you know, because you know, people are afraid to go down to the arch. Uh, there are a lot of homeless people that are definitely afraid of going to the arch. They're afraid they're going to get mugged and raped, uh, robbed or whatever, because there's a lot of lot of criminal activity going on down there. Um, right. So you got a good point there. And see, the funny part is, okay, because of my health, mm-hmm. they had to move me from Camp Abbott to one of the motels. But while I was over at Camp Abbott, it's gotten worse. I mean, right. the place has gotten worse. All right, thank you, Robert. Uh, we're talking. We're talking with um, uh, running for Travis County District Attorney Martin Harry. Uh, we come back from the break. We'll talk more about him. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. This is Coley on the War, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so Skip Davis says, so where is he supposed to pitch his camp? You know, well, there's Camp Abbott. Is that what it's called, Robert? Camp Abbott? Robert, isn't that what it's called, Camp Abbott? Yes, can you hear me? I hear you great. All right, so someone asked, you know, where where are you supposed to pitch your tent? You know, well, you know, Camp Abbott, you know? What's wrong with that? There's a there's a place that the state actually has. You know, you guys are still there, right? Uh, they are. They're still there. Um, I'm you, not, you say they because that means you're not. Why aren't you there? Because of my health, because of coronavirus, I have um, COPD and stuff like that. And uh, they, my caseworker, moved me from over there to one of these motels. Okay, so you stay in a motel. Right. Okay. So, all right. And then the people that are running the motels are the same people that are running the arch downtown Austin. Uh, will be running the arch. Will be. I mean, who? Oh, they will be running this place. Coming soon. Soon, yes. Okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, th- I tell you what. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate you coming on the show. We're going to get back to our guest here. Uh, yeah. But thank you for uh, laying that out for us. All right. So Martin Harry is running for district attorney, district attorney for Travis County. Uh, Martin said he supports reform uh, that will deter dangerous offenders from repeatedly offending while keeping the power of government in check. What does that mean, uh, Martin? Well, we have this uh, constant tension in our criminal justice system between having a, a government that is powerful enough to keep us safe from crime, but not so powerful to make us unsafe from the exercise of that power. And so... Uh, we need to have a balance uh, approach. Now, there are some people advocate that the government has too much power and they, they promise reforms that will make us more 
vulnerable to crime, and some say we need a more powerful response uh, that will make us more safe from crime, but perhaps more vulnerable to abuses of power by government. So it's kind of a delicate balance that we, we need to achieve. Uh, my opponent is, is, I believe, advocating policies that will be the worst of all worlds. They, he will make us more safe uh, to crime and are more unsafe from, uh, to crime and then uh, more vulnerable to abuses of power by government because he's wanting to abolish bail, a protection from government abuse. He's planning on uh, giving the district attorney more unilateral power to decide what laws should be uh, ignored or uh, violations be, be, to be prosecuted or ignored. Uh, when the, pros the prosecutor, the district attorney, has no such legal authority, uh, he is planning on usurping the power of the legislature and indirectly the power of the people to make those decisions. So uh, I think that uh, you know, the Supreme Court observed a long time ago that uh, prosecutors are servants of the law, uh, a law that has two aims, that guilt not escape and that innocence not suffer. And I think the reason why our criminal justice system needs reform today is that guilt, too much guilt escapes and too much innocence suffers. And so we need to be cognizant of um, what we can do to protect people from crime while at the same time protecting people from abuses of power by government and, and then keeping us safe. And then lastly, Robert, I'm going to ask you about your, your stance on the Second Amendment. My, my stance? Uh, I am a, certainly a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. You know, we have in uh, Virginia, uh, where the legislature went from Republican to Democrat, uh, the legislature was proposing to uh, impose um, significant restrictions on the right of gun owners. And uh, we saw some local officials promising that they weren't going to enforce those laws if they were, in fact, uh, became effective. Uh, we have something of a scenario here where the, the my opponent is taking the position that he can pick and choose what laws to enforce. And I think we need to to consider whether there's legal authority, constitutional authority to do that. I My position is that when it comes to the Second Amendment, if what the legislature is proposing to do is unconstitutional, the sheriffs and other local officials uh, at least have some legal basis for challenging the, what the legislature is doing. Uh, my preference would be that those challenges should be in court rather than simply not following the law and enforcing the law. Uh, but that's one of the differences of opinion between me and my opponent. All right, so we're talking with Martin Harry. He's running for Treasure County District Attorney. Uh, definitely get to know your candidates who's running for office because, like I said, your sheriff is going to be very important and also your DA, your district attorney, because that's the person that can prosecute you. And the district attorney in Travis County is probably the most powerful district attorney in the entire state of Texas because they have the, the office that actually prosecute uh, elected officials. There's maybe some funding issues there. But they have the office. <laughs> but we still have the public integrity unit. Uh, the, the legislature did make some change as far as who has authority to prosecute public officials. It's generally going to be the DA in the county where the public official resides now. But uh, if the conduct occurs in Travis County, it's a public corruption. Um, the district attorney here uh, may certainly have jurisdiction. All right, so that man, thank you, Martin. I really appreciate you coming to the studio and talking to us. Tell about tell us about you. I uh, got a chance to know you and um, understand your side and your thoughts on on what's going on, you know, here in Texas and also around the country. 
So thank you, Michael. You. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. All right. So, man, I want to talk about, man, the president, Donald Trump. So the president has COVID-19. He does. He's at uh, Walter Reed Medical Center. I think he's left. He's left. He's left. The, he's left the hospital. Oh, last he left? Report. Yeah. Last reports, he's, he's tr- just briefly, he just left in the in SUV. And then he's back again? Oh, he just went outside to shake, you know, to wave at people and stuff like that and then go back to the hospital. Uh, he just wanted to take a, he wanted to get out of the hospital. He wanted to, you know, get some fresh air. Uh, so, but, you know, I guess we definitely wish him well. You know, don't want our, our president to be ill and fall ill. And people are saying some very nasty things. You know, whenever people are sick, you know, you, you can't wish bad things on people. You really shouldn't because then that comes back to you. That's some bad karma, some bad juju. Yeah, I've heard some uh, pretty nasty things being thrown around out there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, you know, but hey, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, because he, he, for all we know, hey, we could have it next week and be feeling, you know, sick and ill and, and hurt and all that stuff. So you never should wish any bad, you shouldn't wish bad things on people. All right, so earlier we were talking about the Wilco Sheriff Robert Chody, uh, the Austin lawyer, Jason Nasur, who were indicted for tampering with the evidence. Uh, we come back from the break, going to talk more about that. And then also, I want to talk about the Florida man, the man who fired shots through his windshield. Going to talk about that. Actually, you know what? I think I want to roll that video just a little bit before we go to the next break. This is in Florida. The Florida man who's driving around with his friend in his vehicle and decides that the best thing to do is to defend himself, you know, by shooting at someone driving almost 100 miles an hour down the interstate. I mean, I don't know what goes through his head. And then he, this guy posted the video himself on social media. So take a look at this video here. So basically what we're seeing is they're driving on the interstate and he's actually, even he gets up to like almost a hundred miles an hour he starts firing shots. As he starts firing, he drops down to 95 miles an hour to the point that he's actually chasing the person that he's shooting at. You know, and I don't know what, what, what makes you think you can chase someone on the interstate going almost 100 miles an hour, and then you fire shots out of your own front windshield at someone who because they waved the gun at you. How about drop down to 70 miles an hour and let them get on down the road? How about that? What a concept. Even the, even the guy that's in the passenger seat is saying, oh my, I can't believe you fired shots. You're, you're firing shots. What are you doing? So even you got in the passenger seats in shock at this. Take a look at the inside view of this if you're looking at it on social media. And look at the speed at the bottom of the screen there. Pay close attention to the speed. It's at the bottom to the left on the right-hand side of that writing. Going almost ninety. Yeah, he goes. He goes to hundred miles an hour, and then when he, when he starts firing, he drops down to ninety five. His friend's like, "Oh my! I can't believe you shot a gun." His friend is even in shock. The, the passenger inside the vehicle is even in shock at this. You know, I don't know what goes through your head when you do that. You 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 you're in your vehicle, and someone's driving up behind you. That is your history. They're behind you. Don't be so concerned with what's behind you. You know, if they want to pass, then let them pass. This guy gets on the, the turnpike, which is the toll road. He gets on the turnpike, and instead of just letting the guy pass him, he bridge checks him right on the entrance, you know, as he gets onto the turnpike. 
and then he speeds up again, let the guy, the guy jumps in the fast lane, he passes him, and then he goes up to speeds up to 100 miles an hour to catch up to this guy. Again, you know, he catches up to him at 100 miles an hour, and then the, the, the guy that he's chasing actually waves a gun out the window, and then what does he do? He pulls out his gun, goes faster, and then fires shots. I just don't get it. What goes through your head? That's not self-defense. Let it go. Back off. Let them get on down the road. They just want to get past you and get down the road. Don't break checks, people. We know at what point you've done something wrong. You know, you know you've done wrong. And you're, you know, that's deadly conduct, you know, at, at, at its finest right there. You're, you're, you're putting the entire public, the modern public at, in danger. And your shots going through a windshield definitely is not going to hit the target that you're aiming at. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk. This is Doug Man Jones. (laughs) And I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so only the Florida man would do something like that. Man, just, you know, post your own video incriminating yourself on social media. Send yourself to jail. (laughs) On YouTube. He posts a video of himself on YouTube doing this. Who does that? Florida man. (laughs) Do you see any possibility of this guy not going to jail? No. No way. No, the evidence is pretty incriminating. Pretty incriminating. (laughs) <laughs> just, just no way. I mean, why, why would, you know, oh, my goodness, you know. Ugh. I don't even know where to begin with that. You know, deadly conduct. Uh, you're putting, you know, the other people on the, on the interstate in danger. Uh, you're firing shots. You got your, your passenger in the vehicle there. Um, man, you just, you're going, a hundred, you're exceeding the speed limit. Reckless driving on top of that because you're going 100 miles an hour you know, chasing someone, and you're saying that, you know, you're in fear. What you're saying is you're thinking that this person's going to kill you, but you're doing 100 miles an hour to keep up with them. Mm. He didn't even warn his passenger to plug his ears? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> now, you know what the what the most difficult thing about this is going to be? What's that? Vacuuming the glass out of the front seat. <sighs> you, ever tried to, you ever had to do that? No, I've never. Oh, my goodness. Never, really? My, uh, a couple days ago, my roommate, uh, someone threw a brick through his back window. Oh. And he had to vacuum the glass out, and he said, you know, that was the worst part, you know? It's the, it just, it, yeah, it's, it's going to be there forever. This just think our... about the glass as you shoot through your front windshield <laughs> going on almost 90 miles an hour. It's going to go right in your that face. That will just blow right in your eyes. I mean, some people like that, though. <laughs> some people are into he, that. He was, I don't know any of them. They're into it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This okay. guy. I don't know why. I think he, he why, thinks, why else would you do that? He thinks he's in a movie. No, yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I'm joking. You know, he's obviously not, you know, into it. But he's definitely thinks that he's he's uh, not in reality. He's LARPing. Could, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it looks like he's exactly. anticipating the shots. It looks like all those shots actually went a lot lower than what he really thought, too. <laughs> that's just me looking at it. So you think he had poor marksmanship on top of yeah, poor top judgment? Of yeah, because he's like, <clears throat> he's flinching. He's you know what I think? You know what I think? What's that? <clears throat> I think 
that this guy needs to take his LTC class with Michael Cargill at Central Texas Gunworks. No, I don't, think we, I don't think we want him in class. Prior. You hear that? <laughs> I don't think we want Where's him in class race? at all. No. As a punishment, you know, what the judge just sentenced him hey, is to a class. You know what? He might, be, he might have been one of those guys that sat through an LTC class and said, uh, when you play that video, he might have said, oh, I'd shoot the engine block out. No. I, gu- I guarantee you he did his online. What? You can, you can do them online? Yeah, that's the people that always wind up on the news. <laughs> you can take an LTC online. Yeah, they always wind yeah. up, yeah, they always wind up on the news. Yeah, that, look that, at the news. You'll see it. The ones that do that are always on the news. But what do you think about the possibility that he was aiming for the tires? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what the people in the LTC. Mm. When I took my LTC with, with Michael, yeah. there was... How many people in there? Twenty five people. Tires out. Shoot the engine block. <laughs> somebody, somebody said, shoot the engine block when when he plays this video. That of, could ricochet. Uh, what about <laughs> shoot, you, shoot depending on where you block. shoot the tires? That could ricochet and shoot you. <laughs> you know. So yeah. Oh man. All right. So what about your your the president, first lady? They she got tests positive for coronavirus. They got Rona. So what do you think? What do you think about that? I don't know, man. What do you think, Zach? Um, he's probably gonna recover and be just fine statistically. It's the October surprise. You think he actually uh, has that's it? Probably not it. You don't There's think this, this, is, the, this sure. is the October surprise? No, uh-uh. no. Two, two weeks no, for no, two no, weeks. No, no. He's gonna. He's he's got to. Nope. He's got to. Nope. You know. The, the October surprise is gonna be aliens. He's got a quarantine. Some aliens are gonna <laughs> come down and. and... <laughs> you think that's it? <laughs> Have you ever seen Mars Attacks? No. Yeah. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> well then. Uh, no. Hey, you know what? I was reading online a conspiracy theory that Trump doesn't actually have COVID, and he's doing this to to pull sympathy for him. What do you think about that? Nah. I I read I, that I, that's, from. Uh, that's silly. That makes no sense. What do you mean? Uh, nah. Well, it when makes no sense. if let's say he sense. recovers and he's mm-hmm. just fine, and he can say, "Hey, it wasn't that bad. I'm recovered." Yeah. Or, I, I was saying this whole time. Or. He goes in and uses one of these experimental drugs, didn't actually have COVID, and then says he used this drug to lend legitimacy to it, and he owns stocks in said company, possibly, and uh, makes a little coin off of it. Well, you, I don't know. A lot of people don't know that Donald Trump's grandfather, Frederick Trump, actually died in 1918 at the age of 58 from the Spanish flu pandemic. Wow. I, that's, that sells it. Yeah. The media's not, you know, most people in the media are not talking about that, so... And I think is I think his brother didn't his brother just die from, from something? His, I thought his brother was an alcoholic. I don't know, but I know he I, I know he just passed away. And I, I don't want to say from something. I'm not sure what it was. So and then what about the hope? Really, hope? Yeah, she had some hope uh, Corona too, didn't right. she? Yeah, he yeah. So possibly. Oh, there's hope. a there's a web of people that are around him that have gotten Corona now. Right. So. And the, yeah, because I think the Chinese president or someone came out and said, you know, it's not the China virus. It's the White House virus. <laughs> yeah, he tweeted that. Oh, oh it was a, it was a low hot blow. Take. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Twitter's been hot this weekend. It's been crazy. Did you, did you watch during the, the debate that uh, Trump said, I, "I wear a mask when I think I need to," but but Joe, he he wears the biggest <laughs> mask I've ever seen. <laughs> and then he got Corona. <laughs> yeah, oh, classic. Pretty, yeah, love to see it. Man, that's, what's all with all the the, the crime here in Austin? Yeah, carjackings going on. Uh, the some, police are defunded, man. Well, like Martin said, there's a historic jump. That's uh, the highest of any large city in the U.S., you said? It is the public the perception. Yeah. It's, the, it's the fact that publicly that we are defunding the police without having an, a, a tangible alternative set up in place of it. 
Yeah, and you know that first weekend of the protests, that was the weekend that that uh, whole crew went to Michael's gun shop and tried to... Oh, yeah. When June 1st. tried to break in. Or June 1st. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I think it's more fundamental to uh, deep, uh, un- defunding the police. I-, I think that there has been a several-year effort by the public officials in, in the city of Austin to cultivate a culture of lawlessness. And, you know, in a free society, law and order really depends on voluntary compliance with the law, and voluntary compliance with the law depends on respect for law and law enforcement. And we've had this effort by public officials to ask the police to stand down from law enforcement, and they're, they're, they're creating a reducing, eroding a respect for law and uh, law enforcement. And this erosion of respect is resulting in less voluntary compliance, which means more crime, and as there's more crime, we have less law and order. And yeah. everything really depends on law and order, our freedom, our peace, our prosperity. And so I think we need to reverse this, these policies that are eroding the respect. And that's one of the, the differences that I have with my opponent. Is he, he is going to use the office to exacerbate what's been going on, make it even worse. By when he's, he's going to be one of the most powerful law enforcement officials in the county, and he's going to decide to ignore laws and to ignore violations of the laws. What is that going to do but erode respect? For example, there have been a number of cities, usually major cities, that have um, dismissed charges against protesters and even in some circumstances rioters. Now, what, how do you feel about that? Well, again, I think we need to distinguish between the peaceful, peaceful protest, protest right. and the crime. Uh, but we've been able to do that. We, we make those distinctions all the time. So it's nothing new. It's nothing new with the Trump administration or any you government. Just have, people need to clearly outline what is, uh, you know, crossing the threshold into the criminal activity. And I think that maybe that line's getting blurred well, a little yeah, bit too I much. I think so. With the prosecutors, the, you know, my opponent is heavily funded by some extreme ideologues from out of state. Uh, George Soros, Sean King. They are, they've spent millions and millions of dollars in the last several election cycles to elect these extreme ideologues. Uh, to, and defeat experienced prosecutors. And it's in some of those cities today that we're seeing this lawlessness. The prosecutor in uh, the district attorney in the Portland area, who they are, the police are arresting them. It's not a problem with the policing or defunding the police. They are actually making arrests, but they're being processed and released right back out right. without any right. bail. And in certain circumstances, it's relatively serious crimes that we're seeing people getting released on. Mm-hmm. And, well, the... One, another district attorney in California, the, the people that are being uh, charged with looting, she sent, uh, issued a memo to prosecutors in her office and said, look for ways to downgrade that charge. Right. Okay. And one of the factors was whether or not they needed the property that they stole. Now, what about uh, things like bail reform? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, that's one of the important distinctions. Uh, he's advocating or he's misleading voters into thinking that he has the power to abolish bail when he does not. Can't do that. Um, but we, you know, I don't believe that we should be locking people up unless they pose a threat to the community, risk of harm to the community, or a risk of flight. So, as a conservative Republican, I believe you know our liberty is very important, and it should be um, we should only be deprived of our liberty under very limited circumstances. But there are defendants that do pose a harm, and you need to make a risk assessment. In a jurisdiction like California, they tried. Bail reform. They tried to replace bail with a risk assessment system 
you know, what happened was they ended up uh, keeping more people detained than before. And ACLU that uh, supported the bail reform uh, is now opposed to it. It's on the ballot for repeal. Okay. Yeah. All right. So there's a big debate going on, on on social media now about this video we just posted. So let me tell you real quick. All right. So the Castle Doctrine says that if someone, you know, unlawfully enters your home, your vehicle, your place of business, or try to remove you from your home, your vehicle, your place of business, you can use force and deadly force to stop them. That is the Castle Doctrine. The Stand Your Ground law says that if you have a right to be somewhere, as long as you're not committing criminal trespass, you're not committing a crime, uh, you don't provoke the person, then you can use force and deadly force to stop them. So that's going to be the difference between the Castle Doctrine and the Stand Your Ground. Don't confuse the two. Uh, this person here in the vehicle could not use the Castle Doctrine, um, but he, you know, could he use the Stand Your Ground law? Well, was he committing a crime? You got to ask yourself that. You can't be committing a crime, and you can't provoke someone. As always, more guns equals less crime. Go out there and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talking with Michael Cargill. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.